Genesis chapter 3, verses 1 through 15. Please hear the word of God. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent said unto the woman, Ye shall not surely die. For God doth know that in the day that ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and gave also her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest to be with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle, and above every beast of the field upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. And we'll stop there. Well, this may seem to be something of a strange passage of Scripture to open up what we know as the Advent season. But what I hope to do today here is to show you that this passage of Scripture, I think, is very apropos to this preparation time for the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is appropriate because in this passage of Scripture, we see, as I said before, the first promise of our Lord's coming into the world to save sinners. And so as we take a look at this passage of Scripture, what I want to do is set before you in a number of points this idea that this passage of Scripture that we have here in Genesis chapter 3 is a passage that will help us prepare for Christmas. Preparation for Christmas. And if, I, and if you'll be patient with me, what I think you'll see in this passage of Scripture is the following points. Number one, we will see that this passage of Scripture is a very good passage to prepare us for, for Christmas because, number one, it shows us our need for Christmas. What is Christmas all about? Christmas, you remember, is all about the fact that God sent His Son into the world to save sinners. We, we know that recently we, we see buttons, uh, those little buttons, you know, where Jesus is the reason for the season. And what are we trying to say to the world when we say that? Let's not forget what Christmas is all about. It's not just all about the joy of giving gifts. It's about the reality of man needing a Savior. That's what Christmas is all about. And this passage will remind us of that. Secondly, what we're going to see is this. Is we're going to take a look at what God has done in order that Christmas might be ours. You see, what we're going to see in the passage of Scripture is that this passage of Scripture sets before us and reminds us that God himself seeks sinners. You've read in the passage of Scripture, it wasn't Adam seeking out God. God sought Adam. And that's what Christmas reminds us of. 
Christmas reminds us that God seeks sinners. And for that very reason, this passage of Scripture is appropriate for this Christmas season. Thirdly, it will show us how God prepares humanity for Christmas. What do I mean by that? What we're going to see in this passage of Scripture is that we have a glimpse of that great doctrine of the incarnation of Jesus Christ. That's how God prepares humanity for Christmas. God sets before us the truth that there will come this one, the seed of the woman. Oh, what a one that is. This one who is born of a virgin. What a one that is. This one who was promised to take away sin and crush the head of the devil. What a one this one is. And so Christmas does that for us. This passage does that for us. This, will also, this passage will also show us the effect of Christmas. I just briefly mentioned that, but I'll mention it again. What is the effect of Christmas? The effect of Christmas is the defeat of Satan. Aren't you glad that Christmas means not only joyous times with children and grandchildren and friends and family. Christmas is much more than that. It means the work of Satan has been overthrown. It means that men and women no longer have to live under the penalty and pain of sin. They can be free from sin through that gift that God gives in the manger. You see, this passage of Scripture is appropriate. And the last thing that this uh, passage of Scripture will do is is this passage of Scripture will show us why we still need Christmas. Why do we still need Christmas? Because we're still sinners. Why do we still need Christmas? Because men and women are still alienated from God and they need to hear and they need to see that God is seeking them in the person of His Son, Jesus Christ. So with all that in mind, I... I want to set before you this passage of Scripture. And the first thing I want you to see, again, from this passage of Scripture, even as we approach it, is the following point. Number one, that this passage is an excellent passage to help us to prepare for Christmas because it shows to us the need for Christmas. It shows to us the need for Christmas. Well, we've already read it, but let's look again at verses 1 through 7. And we see here, we won't read through it again, but I'll just briefly summarize verses 1 through 7. We see in verses 1 through 7 the first sin, don't we? We see that whole approach that Satan makes to Eve. And while there are many lessons that could rightly be drawn out from that temptation, and let me say this, in your dealing with sin and temptation, look at this passage of Scripture because there are many things that Satan is doing today that he did then. His techniques, if I can put it that way, really haven't changed. Man is still susceptible to the same kind of temptation that we see here, the same questions that are brought forward, the same foolishness we engage in when we engage Satan on his own terms. All these things we see in this passage of Scripture. But this passage of Scripture, as I said before, reminds us why we need Christmas. We need Christmas because we are sinners. And not only do we see the sin of Adam on that page, we see the root of all of our own sins on this page. You see, you and I sin. Why? Because we are descended from one who was a sinner himself. You and I now made not only in the image of God, but also in the image of Adam. We see that in Genesis 5, I believe, Genesis 4, I believe it is here, where Adam has a son in his own image. And this whole idea then that we need a Savior, we need Christmas because we need a Savior from our sins. And that's what we see in this passage of Scripture. Well, that causes us to ask the question then, what is Christmas? And this is something that we need to have an answer for, isn't it? What is Christmas? Well, Christmas is essentially this. It is the coming of the Son of God, the Lord Jesus Christ, into the world to save sinners. That's what Christmas is. Now, I'm going to give a a number of different uh, approaches to this definition. But what I want you to understand is that this is essentially what Christmas is. It is the coming of the Son of God into the world to save sinners. 
The world doesn't define Christmas that way, but this is how the people of God understand what Christmas is all about. And so we understand that this is what it is. You see, Christmas cannot be truly understood apart from the condition of human sinfulness. And, the, and, on, and not only human sinfulness, but personal sin, my sin as well. That's what makes Christmas so significant. That the Son of God has come into the world to save me from my sins. And the Son of God has come into the world to save you from your sins. And that's the message that we say to the world at Christmas time. We let them know that this little babe who's in a manger will be the Christ who is crucified on the cross for their sins, for your sins, for my sins. Well, so that's what we would say biblically what Christmas is. Historically, we can engage the question, can't we? And we can say, well, what is Christmas? You know, we can say that, you know, I, look, I read the Bible and I didn't see anything about Christmas. So what's Christmas? You know, where'd you get this term Christmas? Well, I think many of us know that the word Christmas is, uh, is kind of taken up from, uh, from ancient times. And it's really the idea of, it was, it was the combination of two words, Christ Mass. And they're brought together for the word Christmas. It's kind of interesting is that we don't see uh, too early in the, in, the, in the history of the church uh, any kind of recognition of the day of Christmas. This comes later on, even with what we call the season of Advent. Uh, Advent, uh, as a recognized season within the church calendar, probably doesn't come on the scene probably till about the 4th century. But there are some interesting things about this word Christmas and, and some of the other associated words uh, with it that I want you to be aware of here. And what we see is, is, is this. Uh, the name seems to have come, uh, come into being around the year 1038 uh, in, in, in the early uh, English language of the time. And it was written, it was written as, as Christus Massus. About a century later, it had been modified into Christ Mess, and in the English tongue developed into its present form. It finally became Christmas as we know it today. Nearly all other languages of Europe use the word that signified birthday. Therefore, in Latin, Christmas is known as dies natalis. In Italian, il natale. In the French, it is softened to that Latin form that we're familiar with, the word Noel. The English, have, uh, the English books and the accounts of the old English customs, we find the day mentioned under the, under the title of Yuletide, which means the time of the feast. So these are some of the, some of the, the ways in which, uh, in, in which man understands Christmas. Again, it's a, it's a word with historical uh, kind of weight to it. It, it goes back in time. We, as I said before, we don't, see it in, uh, we don't see the command to commemorate the birth of Christ uh, in, in, the, uh, in the Scripture. But I do think it's worthwhile to give attention to the birth of Christ. And that moves me from my what I would call hopefully the first biblical definition, Christmas is the coming of the Son of God into the world to save sinners, to the historical consideration of the word that we just looked at, to what I would call now the theological definition of Christmas. And the theological definition of Christmas is nothing more than that good old-fashioned word, the incarnation. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is about the incarnation of the Son of God. That time in human history when the word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That time in human history where Paul writes about in Galatians chapter 4 that in the fullness of time God sent forth his son born of a woman made under the law to redeem them that were under the law. That's Christmas. We don't think of that passage in Galatians as as a Christmas passage, but it is. It's this idea that in the fullness of time God sent his son to redeem sinners. The incarnation 
What a beautiful, what a beautiful reality the incarnation is. And let me say this. Though I would uh, certainly agree that the, that uh, that we have no command in Scripture uh, to commemorate the birth of our Lord Jesus Christ, how can we as Christians fail to commemorate the incarnation? Can I say it this way? We're fools if we don't. This is the this is the glory of the Father's plan brought into human history, and we're going to turn a blind eye to it. I don't think so. We should, we, we should make mention of it. We should, if I can say this, we should prepare for it. We should take this month of December to get ready for the incarnation of our blessed Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And you see, this brings us to a very important point, and we'll, we'll pick, we're going to pick this up a little bit later in the sermon, but I just want to touch upon this now. This idea of the incarnation, this idea of Christ coming into the world, did you see where it occurs? It occurs in the most in the most unlikely place. It occurs the promise of the incarnation. It occurs in the middle of a curse. It occurs in the middle of a curse upon Satan. You've seen the passage of scripture. Let's go there again, verses fourteen and fifteen. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and thus shalt thou eat all the days of thy life. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. There is the glimpse of the incarnation. It is the seed of the woman coming forward. And in this way, it's an amazing thing to see. God is both executing judgment upon sin and providing mercy for sinners. That's the theme of the gospel. Remember what I said last week, that the Bible can be summed up in one sentence. God's intention to save sinners through faith in Jesus Christ. There you see it right here in Genesis chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. And so in the middle of this curse, God has a promise. Oh, you see, against the backdrop of sin, God has a promise. To the world at large who who thinks Christmas is just about the exchange of toys. Oh, you see, we come with a real message, don't we? And the message, again, goes deeper than our gifts. We're glad for our gifts. We're glad that we can illustrate something of a Father's uh, unspeakable gift to us by way of the gift that we exchange one with another. And there's a greater gift. There's a gift that that addresses a deeper need. And and, And that gift is in the incarnation of the Son of God come to save sinners. And so again, and here we see, I have to say this, we see other New Testament ideas being brought together here now. We see that wonderful uh, uh, passage uh, in, in Romans being brought to the fore, how that God is both just and justifier. How can God be? How can God maintain all the justice of His opposition against sin and still justify sinners? Enter Jesus Christ. How can God again uh, uh, bring about uh, the judgment on Satan and, and, and intend to destroy sin and still justify sinners? Introduce Jesus Christ in the incarnation. You see these wonderful things, and this is why. I'm convinced in, in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 10, the Apostle Paul talks about the, talks about the, the wisdom of God. You see, it was the wisdom of, it was not only the power of God that was displayed on the cross, it was the wisdom of God as well. You know, there was Satan. And sometimes it's interesting to see some of, some of, our, old, uh, uh, some of our old commentators and old theologians, they, they developed this theme, how that Satan thought he was getting his way there on that day in which Christ was crucified on the cross. And there was Satan as this, as this, as this, can I say it this way? Will you not be too offended? You shouldn't be. There was Satan as this stooge and as this fool thinking he was bringing about an end of God's purposes. And what was God doing? God was bringing about an end to Satan's design. 
You see, this is why we had we read the passage of scripture in 1 John chapter 3, verse 8. That Jesus, this is for this reason the Son of God is manifested. Why? To destroy the works of the devil. And how did he do it? He did it by his own death. It's an amazing thing to see. Oh, this gospel that you believe in, this gospel that you love, it is an amazing thing. And how we thank God for it. And so again, and this is why this passage of Scripture is such an appropriate passage of Scripture for our preparation for Christmas. It reminds us why we need Christmas. And so, again, the second thing that I want you to see then from this passage of Scripture is that this passage of Scripture is an excellent passage to uh, to prepare us for Christmas in that it reveals to us that it is God who comes seeking sinners. That's what Christmas should remind you of. Number of things that you and I will be doing in the, in, the, in the coming month, and you know how it's going to get. Some of you are going to be so busy, you're going to free. Some of you might get so busy, you might even forget. Oh yeah, by the way, there's church tonight. No, oh, I got to do this and I got to do that. That's how busy you'll get. But what I want you to remember in this coming month is this: that in this coming month, you please remember that Christmas reminds you that God Himself seeks sinners. We see this in the passage, don't we? We've read, but look again in verses eight and nine of the passage of Scripture. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord amongst the trees. What do we see happening here? In verse 9, And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? Here we see God seeking Adam. Isn't that an encouragement to your heart? And this is why it's an encouragement to your heart. You know what your sins are. I know what my sins are. We know the, the, the depth of our sins. We know the, de- the degradation that our sins bring. But how would you like to be an Adam? How would you like to be Adam with his sin? And you ask me, where, are you, where am I going with this? You know, our sins ruin lives, don't they? Sometimes we look back on our sins and we see the destruction that, have, that has followed us because of our sin. But there's Adam. His sin, can, are you ready for this? His sin was a race-killing sin. All of his posterity are affected because of his sin. It's no wonder he hides. It's no wonder he runs. But God will not leave it at that, will he? No, there's a sinner he must seek, and there's a sinner he must find. And that sinner is Adam, and that sinner is every one of us. You see the same thing in the Lord Jesus Christ. There is Peter denying him. There is Peter again uh, turning his back on him. And there is the Lord Jesus Christ seeking out Peter. Oh, you see, this is what Christmas reminds us of. Christmas reminds us that God seeks sinners. Aren't you happy? Aren't you glad for it? Did you see the effects, though, that sin brings even before we get back to this point of God seeking sinners? You see the effects of the sin? Look at the shame on the part of Adam. Yes, sin brings shame. We know that. It's kind of amazing to see in our own day where public figures are exposed for their sins and their sins and, and, and when they have an opportunity to, to reply to, to that public embarrassment, what do they say? They're, sh- they're, they're ashamed of themselves. Sin brings shame. Have you ever, when was the last time you ever been ashamed of doing what was right? Never. <laughs> but, sh- but sin, we know the shame that it brings. Look at the deception that it brings out. There's Adam and Eve trying to cover themselves. Look at the fear that it brings. The first mention of the word fear or afraid is found here in this passage right here. Look at the loss of fellowship with with the God who loves them. Look at the refusal to accept responsibility. 
And again, we've, we've heard sometimes preachers trying to be funny. I'm not trying to be funny here. There's Adam. What did you do? Well, the woman you gave me. And we still, we still see this today. Our sins, our failures. You know, if it wasn't for this, if it wasn't for that, if I didn't have to do it that way, and, and rather than accepting responsibility, there's Adam showing all the humanness of the human condition. We also see this, not only his refusal to accept uh, uh, responsibility, but this antagonism toward one another. Here we see this relationship that God designed Adam and Eve to be, uh, you know, to Eve to be a help me to Adam. That that loving relationship, the two becoming one. And what 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 did sin do to it? They made them antagonistic toward one another. You know, it's this one and that one. And if you wouldn't have done this, and if the woman wouldn't have done that, and so what we see here is this: we see all of what, if I can use this terminology, we see all of the classic quote unquote psychological effects of sin. I'm not a big psych- psychology guy. And again, I'm not saying anything for it or against it. But how can we read a passage of scripture like this and not identify all those psychological issues that people deal with today and not lay them at the foot of sin? Human sin, personal sin, my sin. You see, these are the things that we see here. And this is the man that Adam became because of sin. Look at the look at the rupture in the relationship of, of, of human relationships. Look at look, 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 look at the look at look at the rupture uh, be, between his relationship with, with with Adam and God. And thank God that, that God sought Adam out. And so these things we see all of the all of the effects of sin. But we're reminded that God seeks sinners. All oh, those words, those wonderful words, when He says, "Adam, where art thou?" Oh, what a wonderful sentence. Adam, where art thou? Again, you've heard that yourself, haven't you? Chris, where art thou? Hernico, where art thou? All of you, I can name every one of your names. Rick, where art thou? Charlie, where art thou? That's what God said. Where are you? And there you were in sin. But God was not content to leave you there. That's Christmas. How we thank God for Christmas. And you see this passage reminds us, this passage reminds us, that there is, again, in this passage, all the, all the promise and all the blessing of God coming to seek sinners. You know, it's, a, it's an interesting question sometimes that we, that we kind of come across. Uh, it's a theological question, and the question is something goes along something the, of, of these lines. Uh, does man seek God, or, the, or, does, or does God seek man? And, you know, depending on your, your theological perspective, uh, if it's like mine, your, your theo- and I'm not saying to, to, to impose my theological perspective, but if it's like mine, you're, you're going to say, well, God seeks sinners. Man doesn't seek God. But you know what's interesting for those of us who embrace that view is that there are many times in the scripture where we see men seeking God. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes we see men seeking God out of curiosity. Uh, sometimes there are those who are seeking Christ just to challenge him. Sometimes those, there are those who are seeking Christ just to see a miracle. So, but then there are those times when there are men who are genuinely seeking God. How do, we, how do we understand this? Well, I would say this. I would suggest this to you, that whenever you see a, a sinner truly seeking God, it is the reciprocal action of God first seeking him. How can I, how can I make this point to you? Well, I think the only way that I can make it to you is in a passage of Scripture. And the passage of Scripture is this. We love Him because He first loved us. 
Your seeking after God was a, was a reflex action of the Spirit of God acting upon your soul. Aren't you glad that this is what Christmas reminds you of? Aren't you glad that in all the, all the trappings of Christmas that we will see in the coming month, there is, a, there is a solid reality at the base of all these things? And so again, Christmas reminds us that yes, God comes seeking sinners. The third reason why this passage of Scripture is, 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 excellent, is an excellent uh, passage of Scripture uh, to begin to think about the Christmas season is because in it, God prepares humanity for the incarnation of Christ. God prepares humanity for the incarnation of Christ. And where do we see that? Again, we've already talked about that. This idea that the seed of the woman would come and crush the head of Satan. The seed of the woman. This is a very interesting, uh, this is a very interesting um, uh, expression that's used here. Uh, many of us know that usually whenever we talk about a human seed, it usually has reference to, to the male. But here we see the references specifically to the woman. It is the seed of the woman that will come forth. It is not only a reference to the incarnation, it's also a reference to the virgin birth. The passage of scripture in Isaiah chapter 7 and also in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. Now what's interesting about that is, is, is this. As we look at this passage of scripture, and one of the things I, I probably should have prefaced the sermon with this. But one of the things that we see is this. Is this is one of the places in the word of God where we benefit from the light of the person of Christ coming into human history. What do I mean by that? Well, the question has been asked oftentimes when there has been an interaction with this passage of Scripture, would Adam and Eve have understood all that we are seeing in this passage? Would they have understood the person of Christ as I am setting him forth? Would they have understood that there was coming again this Redeemer into the world? Would they have understood the ways in which I am setting this passage of Scripture before you? And the thing that I would say to you is this. We certainly have intimations in the word of God very early in the scripture that Eve certainly understood something by way of the promised seed. Because you remember when her next son is born, what did she say? I have gotten me a man from the Lord. And some even say that the translation could be, I have gotten me a man, the Lord. And the idea being that she may have thought that her next son was indeed the promised Messiah. So there does seem to be this awareness there. We go through the scriptures and we begin to see this development of the prophetic theme of the coming of Messiah. But what I want you to see is this. What we are engaging in here this morning is the benefit of what we read last week when we went to Luke chapter 24, verses 44 through 47. You remember that passage of scripture when Jesus is walking with the Emmaus disciples and he says, O fools and slow to believe all that the prophets have written. Have not not Christ suffered and entered into his glory? And then starting from Moses and the Psalms and the prophets, he explained or he showed to them all the places in the scripture concerning himself. And then the next passage says, and he opened their understanding. We would be delinquent as, as Christians not to read this passage of scripture in light of what Christ has taught us. We know that the scriptures speak of Christ. We know that, again, you remember that uh, this will be the third week in a row. And again, it's not even by design. The third week in a row where Revelation 19.10 has to come to bear. The, 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 the testimony, excuse me, the spirit of testimony, the spirit of prophecy is the testimony of Jesus Christ. The prophetic word points to Christ. 
And we do right to take the person of Christ and use him as a light to shine on the Old Testament passages. And that's why in this passage of Scripture, we see here again this, 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 this glimmer, this, this, this shadow, this, this, this bursting out of the glorious doctrine of the incarnation and the virgin birth. We see other things in this passage of Scripture, but ultimately it will culminate on Christ. We see other things in this passage of Scripture. We see here, again, the reality that there is a division in humanity. We hate, we hate to say these things, don't we? We, we long for the day when, when all cause of division will be put away. We long for the day when, when man will be rightly reconciled, not only to his God, but to one another as well. You know, the church of Jesus Christ is the place where that kind of ought to be exercised now. That we ought to live within the church of Jesus Christ in such a way, one with another, where true reconciliation has taken place. Where causes of division are, are, are overcome. Where there may be points of disagreement they are dealt with under the grace of Jesus Christ. But here we see a division in humanity. God himself says, I will put enmity. The word enmity is kind of a strong word and it means that which, again, is the, is the cause of antagonism and hostility. God is doing this now. And what is God doing? Is he just trying to create the, a chaos? Absolutely not. But what he's doing is this, that there must be in the lives of his own people an antagonism towards sin. Do you view your sin in that way? Do I view my sin in that way? You know, the Puritans sometimes, they use this, this strange expression for, for what we would call favorite sins. They called them bosom sins. What's a bosom sin? Well, you know what a bosom buddy is, don't you? That's what they meant by a bosom sin, those favorite sins. And the idea here is this. God calls us toward, to, 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 to uh, continue enmity against those sins. That's why Paul says in Romans chapter 8 that we must mortify the deeds, that we must mortify the deeds of the flesh. We must be involved in that process of putting to death our sins. You see, this is, this is why we need the light of Scripture, don't we? This is why my own evaluation of myself is not sufficient. This is why the Word of God must evaluate this man's soul. Oh, I'll cover and I'll hide and I'll put on the makeup and I'll do this and I'll do that. But let the Word of God examine. You see, and this is what we need. And this enmity now, again, shows to us that there's this division God himself talks about the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Our Lord Jesus Christ picks this up. You know the passages of Scripture, particularly in John chapter 8. Three times he speaks about this division. John chapter 8, verse 38. I speak that which I have seen of my Father, and you do that which you have seen of your Father. John 8, 41. You do the deeds of your Father. John 8, 44. You are, you are of your Father the devil, and the lust of your Father you will do. And so what we see here, we see that there is this division, this antagonism. But ultimately, the seed of the woman is not only those who are opposed to sin, primarily in ourselves. I want to stop here for a little bit and talk about this. You know, it's easy for us, isn't it, to be, to be angry at sin outside of us. As a matter of fact, now that, now that I think of it, tonight when we consider one of the kings, King Abijah, he, he was one of these guys... Tonight, we'll, we'll look at him, but he was one of these guys who, who very easily saw sins in others, but didn't see his own sin. And know anybody like that? <laughs> we all do, don't we? And the idea is this, is that when we, when we talk about this antagonism towards sin, the idea is that we have an antagonism towards our own sin first and foremost. You know, whatever your sins are, brothers and sisters, deal with them. Is your pastor, I'll, I'll help you as much as I can in that. 
But we all have our sins to deal with and we must deal with them. Make no room for your sins. They will ultimately not only expose you, they will ultimately destroy you. And so again, this whole idea of this enmity that we see here. But this enmity again now is, uh, you know, comes to, comes to the fore in the seed of the woman. The seed of the woman who is again the, the great antagonist of the seed of the serpent. And the seed of the woman coming to its fruition in the person of Jesus Christ. As I said before, this is an intimation. This is something of a foreshadowing of the great doctrine of the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so that's the third reason why uh, this passage is a very good passage to prepare us for Christmas because it, it prepares humanity for the incarnation of Jesus Christ. But the fourth reason why this is a good passage uh, to prepare for Christmas is that it is a reminder that sin will be thoroughly crushed. Satan, excuse me, it is a reminder that Satan will be thoroughly crushed and sin will be completely remedied. Satan will be thoroughly crushed and sin will be completely remedied. We see it again in the passage of Scripture. Look here again that we have here. Verse, uh, verse 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and, and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is again a reference to the work of Jesus Christ destroying the works of Satan. This is a work, this is a reference to the work of Jesus Christ overturning completely the work and design of Satan. There is a crushing of the head of Satan. And it's a wonderful thing to think about. It's the cause of rejoicing in the church that sin is defeated and Satan is overthrown. How we thank God for this. And again, we see this in a number of passages. Again, 1 John 3 verse 8, we've already read it. Again, that he might, again, for this purpose was the Son of Man manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. Hebrews 2.14 is, is very similar. Listen to this. For as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same. What's being said here? The writer of Hebrews is explaining something of the, of the cause, of the basis of the incarnation. And earlier he says he didn't take on the nature of angels. The Lord Jesus Christ was not in the business of redeeming angels. He was in the business of redeeming sinners. He was in the business of redeeming men and women. So what does he do? In the incarnation, part of the classical definition of it, he comes into humanity and he takes on a human nature. He takes on the nature of persons. Here's the wisdom of God. God is so ordained that in the very instrument through which sin came into the world will be the very instrument through which sin is defeated. The wisdom of God in these things. And so the writer of Hebrews on to say this. He, 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 he took part of the same. That through death, he might destroy him that had the power of death. That is the devil. Again, the wisdom of God, the glory of God. Satan thinking this was his day. Satan thinking it all fell into his lap. There was Satan again in the Garden of Eden. He had already had a third of the angels follow him in the rebellion. Now that he had taken the only two persons on earth and he had taken them captive at his will. And he thinks this is it. But no, God comes forth and God makes a promise. And that promise culminates in Jesus Christ. And that promise we know in our day is Christmas. And in that promise, what does God promise? Not only that he will seek sinners, not only that he will prepare us for the incarnation, he promises that he will destroy sin and Satan itself, himself. Again, it's a glorious thing that we think of here. But there's something else I want you to see here. Did you see in the passage of Scripture? I'm sure you did. 
It shall bruise thy head, reference to Jesus Christ crushing Satan, and thou shall bruise his heel. Thou shall bruise his heel. You know, some of us in the coming month will get our budgets together and think about how much we're going to spend on Christmas. We're going to talk about the cost of Christmas. You want to talk about the cost of Christmas? It's right here. The bruised heel of Jesus Christ is the cost of Christmas. You see, Christ was bruised, wasn't he? There he was in the, in the, in the wilderness being tempted of Satan. That was a bruising. There he was betrayed by Judas. That was a bruising. There he was, again, sold for these 30 pieces. That was a bruising. There he was in the garden sweating drops. That was a bruising. There he was being spit in the face. A bruising. Slapped in the face. A bruising. The cost of Christmas? It's on this passage of Scripture right here. What is the cost of Christmas? The bruised heel of Jesus Christ. And so you see this passage of Scripture so, so vital for us now as we think about it, isn't it? How can we understand Christmas apart from it? And then the last reason why this passage of Scripture is a, 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 an excellent passage to get ready for Christmas is that it reminds us that God is still seeking sinners. It reminds us that there are still sins that we must deal with. It reminds us that there are still people I hate to say it this way, out there. But there are still people out there whom God is intending to bring home into their hearts this very message. My brothers and sisters, you have a ready-made gift. And it's wrapped in leather. And it's not only the pages of this book, it's the message of this book. Take it. Take it to your co-workers. Take it to your friends. Take it to your family. You see this passage of Scripture? How many times have we read it? Have we ever thought about Christmas? How can we not think of Christmas when we read this passage of Scripture? Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we do thank you for Christmas, for the incarnation of our Lord Jesus Christ, come to save sinners. Oh, Lord God, we ask and we pray now that our hearts have been directed toward this whole theme of preparing for the great day of commemorating the Lord's incarnation. Give us grace, we pray, to prepare rightly and properly in this coming month. Help us, we pray, Father, to have a very real spiritual emphasis in these matters. And may we, Father, have ready tongues to speak of the very reason and cause for Christmas, Christ come into the world to save sinners. Grant this, we pray, Father, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.